A good mid-July evening to all of you, and welcome to Colton's Court. Court is in session. I'm your host, Gerald Colton, longtime sports agent attorney, along with my co-host, Jari Evans, six-time first-team pro bowler, four-time first-team all-pro, one-time second, 11 years with the New Orleans Saints, one with the Green Bay Packers, and a whole lot of other things. Welcome, Ja. What's going on, man? How was your day today? Uh, listen, my day's busy, and the sports world is is happening all around us. And um, you know, I, I go through different emotions, John. Ja, today starts off in not a great feeling because our beloved local town, the Philadelphia Phillies, are in the midst of a really awful stretch and what looks like just a brutal collapse of the season. Yeah. And uh, last night over at Citizens Bank Park, which for me is one of the great places to go. I love spending spring, summer, fall evenings there. I went with my sons last night and just nothing better than watching the Phillies, watching a Hall of Famer probably on the other end, Clayton Kershaw pitch against the young Zach Eflin and the Phils right after the All-Star break, battling for the playoff spot. They're, they're still in the wild card hunt, or in the spot actually, unbelievably. And that was as brutal a night at Citizens Bank Park or for a Phillies home game as I've ever experienced, at least since um, I guess I'd have to take you back to game four against the Dodgers in 1977, leaving the ballpark feeling that way, or when Ryan Howard blew out his Achilles at the end of a season in 2011. It was that bad, and it was only a regular season game. But, John, what happened was they're playing the L.A. Dodgers, and our stadium got taken over by Dodger Blue last night. There, there were only about 30,000 fans, so it wasn't a packed house by any means. And at least half of them were Dodger fans. And that didn't feel good in our own stadium. The Dodgers have a big following. Probably still have people from Brooklyn to follow them and can't come down, even though the team hasn't been there in like 60 years. Right, right. But um, they, there was a takeover last night at Citizens Bank Park. And the way to answer the takeover is to win and to beat them. And they, the Phillies got off to a good start. Harper got a hit, waved to the crowd that was screaming overrated at him and oh, like wow. waved at the Dodgers. Phillies jumped up one nothing. They're up one nothing against this Clayton Kershaw, who doesn't seem to have his best stuff last night. They have the bases loaded, one out. Jay Bruce strikes out, and then and Mikel Franco comes up and battles him. Has a ten pitch at bat, battles some really tough pitches, and then hits a ground ball to third base, Ja, where the third baseman made a bad throw to first, but Mikel Franco didn't run it out, and it ended the inning. Allowed the first baseman to go chase down the ball, basically leave the base and come down and get him where it should have been a run, should have been a two nothing lead, and he still just hit battling. like a walk off home run, like. He had a walk-off home run, had this great at-bat, and then you don't run, run Then you don't run out a ball. And, and this is not the first time that some of these guys haven't been hustling. And, ja, listen, let's, let's talk. You know, I always try to get your perspective as the athlete as to what goes on in an athlete's head. And our listeners have to understand that what goes on in an athlete's head is a lot different than what goes on in our heads uh, a lot of times. And, and Jerry always brings a perspective to the show as to, you know, really what the athlete thinks. And, and in this situation, you're, you're battling. You're in front of your home fans. It's, it's inconceivable for me to not hustle. So does where does the responsibility lie? Obviously, everyone as a professional has to show up. Does the manager bear any responsibility in any of this? Uh, yeah, as a coach, for sure. It definitely does. Um, if you're not hustling or giving max effort, it shows, and there's consequences for it, whether it's you're not playing or you're pulled or you're benched or however the manager or coach handles it. There needs to be consequences for not going out there and showing or giving your all. I mean, that's what uh, – <clears throat> that's what we're here to play for. We're here to play to win. We don't play to tie. We don't play to lose. We play to win. Chad. And the only way you can win is by competing. 
Well, and, and to me, there's been a lot of criticism that has happened regarding and surrounding the Phil's manager, Gabe Kapler. A lot of it, to me, is the fact that Gabe Kapler's just not inherently a Philadelphia guy. He's this pretty boy, and with all due respect, I don't mean I don't mean it disrespectfully. Gabe Kapler is in tremendous shape. He looks hot like a movie star, and he doesn't speak. Philadelphia ease. You know, we we like the gritty. We over the course of, of history, we've liked the Dallas Greens, and we've liked, and even Doug Peterson like lately. And I haven't been the biggest Brett Brown supporter, but he's kind of like a Philadelphia gritty guy, and that's right, the guy right. Philadelphia can can relate to. And and so they don't they haven't embraced Gabe Kapler from the start. And when things go bad, it's going to be even worse as it is right now because things have fallen, the wheels have fallen off in a really bad way, um, and there isn't any accountability, John, and what you're talking about. You know, there's got to be consequences, and I think there's been a lot of gripes. The fact that there haven't been consequences to these lack of hustle plays or feeling of lack of attention at times and things. And John, look, you would play over the course of an NFL season like 1,200 snaps, something like that. Right, right, okay. right. Did you ever take one off? Did you ever? Uh, uh, no. I mean, not that I know of. Did I go at one? Maybe less aggressive as the other there could have been sometimes depends on what the play is depends on how i'm blocking depends on my assignment but did i ever try to block a three technique with less effort than i would try to block another three technique no because my game's a little bit different i I mean as offensive lineman you take a playoff you're on your back you're in the qb's lap somebody gets hurt somebody gets injured you know something bad happens when when we take plays off that's why there's no substitutes for offensive linemen but in the course of a baseball game where you come to the plate about four times can you please run hard 90 feet when you have to i mean i i don't think it's that much you don't hit the ball not to run that's the whole purpose of the game you hit the ball you run it's just not to me. It's just not a lot to ask. There were some really interesting things last night, but not the least of which is the, the only way to answer back to the fans taking over your ballpark is to beat them, and we didn't beat them. And now there's going to be right. three more games of these Dodger blue people really annoying <laughs> the hell out of me, and and hopefully the Phillies have an answer and actually dig deep down and, and care. I, I was looking in the Phillies dugout last night because I was sitting right behind it, and I'm telling you, Ja, these guys weren't even watching the game. Yeah. They're looking in the stands. <clears throat> they have they have checked out, and, and always... we're still here. In mid-July, and they're still the last well, wild card spot. I, I don't know if they checked out of the season, but I think there's a point in baseball games when you're down by a whole bunch of runs that sometimes they just say, "You know what? On to the next one." You know what I mean? You know, and that's a fa- and that's a fair comment. It, it, just, it just happens in that sport, and you know they went down early, and I think they just were like, "Well, we know we, we don't have the power or the." The skill to dig ourselves out of this one. But now, John, it could they didn't be... go down that early. It was in. It, it, I mean, it was. You know, in the first half of the game was still the fourth inning, but they're still winning one nothing. And then okay. they have this disastrous sixth run fourth where they give the Dodgers where the balls aren't even hit hard. They're misplaying this uh, like high school play where a double steal and a bump plays. They mess up two right. of them. I mean, just the so they're down six. Yeah, they're down six one in the fourth also, inning, right? Yeah, and well, then then it was. It, over. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Like, yes, if, I suppose if, if you you still if, have six more at bats, you do, but. You, you, if if your guys aren't playing defense behind the pitcher that you have, and it's only the fourth inning, and you're down that many runs, I mean, it's probably they're probably like, well, if he's not going to play hard, I'm not going to play hard. If he's not going to put his best effort in, why am I putting my yeah, best effort in? That's always and been the hardest thing for me to understand because whether it be coaching my kids growing up or whatever, effort's the only thing right, you can always guarantee. Right. And and to me, the easiest thing to give, especially for a guy like I can, you know, I can look at you and know that the athletic ability is vastly different between us. I would always at least bring the effort. 
And, right. and I can't imagine at the pro level to not bring the effort. And that's it's, just amazing. It, it is very amazing that you reach you reach the professional level. There's people that will, will, will give so much to get there. And then you just and then you decide not to show up for your team or not to give, uh, you know, max effort to try to, you know, come out with a W. And it's a shame that it happens, but it really does happen. Uh, and it, was, it's, it obviously does happen. Um, and the Dodgers didn't stop giving effort all the way through because um, they were foaming at the mouth to bat against these Phillies. There were there were a couple of funny things that happened late in the game. One of which was Yaskol, I think it's Yaxel Rios, a relief pitcher for the Phillies, hit Turner of the Dodgers with a breaking ball. And the immediate reaction of the umpire was to eject him. He thought he threw at him, but it was a breaking ball. It was like an 84-mile-per-hour breaking right, ball. Right. It might not have broken glass. I mean, it's a little harder than what I'm relating to as far as what it would feel to the average person. But you know when a guy's throwing at someone, you know when he's not. And Turner, Justin Turner's reaction was he turned to the umpire, job. Yeah. He started telling him, no, don't throw him out of the game. <laughs> now, I was right there and saw it. It was a really funny situation where Gabe Kapler and JT Real Muto are arguing with the umpire, and Turner's arguing too on behalf of the Phillies pitcher. Now I was wondering, maybe he, maybe he doesn't want to see him leave the game because right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like I want to get him bad against this guy. But it was it was a really funny play, and then you know that 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 hampers the Phillies because you've already you're already burning your bullpen, and you know you're not going to win this game. So ultimately, yeah. they bring in Roman Quinn, a center fielder, to pitch for the last right, four right. outs of the game. And right. I'm telling you, those Dodgers didn't take any bats off. They were up there literally foaming at the mouth to, to, to pad their statistics. It, against. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty wild, man. You, you got you got to bring him in just to get out the game, and he got the final four outs, huh? Yeah, with only a little bit of damage. It's, it's funny. On the scoreboard there, they, they put up the miles per hour pitched what and was the pitches it? thrown. And, and <laughs> the funny part was, for every pitch he threw, because he was throwing as hard as he could, which is as hard yeah. as a center fielder. I mean, yeah, he's not yeah. a big arm center fielder. So he was throwing in the low 80s, oh, which, wow. which is not terrible right. speed when you're in high school, but yeah. <laughs> at the major league level, unless you're mixing in curveballs and breakables and stuff like that, 82 is going to get hammered. He's throwing low 80 fastballs? Well, but the funny part was on the scoreboard, they kept putting up his changeup. Oh, so all he okay. did was throw a changeup. He never threw a fastball according to the scoreboard. <laughs> right, right. I don't know how they knew that was his changeup, change but they never threw his fastball. Right. He was, he was just trying to get it across the plate. That's, he, uh, he sure was. That's interesting, man. <laughs> and and um, yeah, you know you're in trouble when, when, when that happens. So a couple of other things uh, that, that were interesting to me. I mean, there were a lot of teams that lost. Big, well, there's a few teams that lost big yesterday too. So, yeah, but you, you don't lose at home okay. when you're battling for the wild card spot, okay. and you've come out of All Star break with a stretch of important games. You played the yeah. Washington Nationals, who are battling with you in the division. Yes, who you signed Harp away from, who you better stinking beat out right. this year because that team basically conceded to you and yet they vet their star signed with you and they're ahead of you that shouldn't happen right. that wasn't the plan and that's what the expectations were raised so much for this Phillies team because the, the owner John Middleton said hey listen we're going to spend stupid money and they made some big acquisitions in the offseason of of Harper of Real Muto uh, of Segura unfortunately McCutcheon went down with injury and Robertson's yeah. went down with injury the yeah. two older guys but you know this was supposed to be a, a team that if didn't win the division was was there all year long and now right. they've fallen off in a big way. Yeah, they started so, pretty hot, but you know they have Atlanta's been running away with yeah, it right so, now. But the, so Atlanta's nine and a half games up with them. All right, so fine, but that is a disastrous 
turn of events of where they've their record over the last uh, quarter of the season. Like if you take the games seasons and quarters, okay. I think they're fifteen and twenty four over the last thirty nine games, which translates to about sixty wins for the season. Well, you got to win in the ninety. You got to win more than that. You got to win. You got to win. You know, ninety ish. Yeah. Probably eighty five gets you the playoffs these days. It gets you in a wild card, but the target and the and and they were on a pace for like ninety seven, ninety eight early in the year. So it really, it really it turned disastrous. Um, and there are a couple other notes on the Phillies that are worth to me mentioning at this point, and that is uh, they, another thing that happened during the game. This is where to me a lot of it comes back to. Someone's got to be accountable and. When yes. you're a professional athlete, I think you should be able to be able to count to three and know how many outs there are. And, <laughs> and in case you lose track yourself, they've got yeah. these big scoreboards. I don't know if you've noticed them, but they're, oh, they're really bright, and they tell you the score and the pitch count and the outs. And oh, yeah, yeah. No, exactly what you're talking well, about. Well, I, listen, I'm not sure the Phillies players are aware of these because in that sick in that. Six run fourth inning right. where the game went from their lead to, in your opinion, out of reach, and I'm not disagreeing. One nothing so to six to one, right? You know, in, in a catastrophic turn of events, and most of the damage coming with two outs, um, the Phillies somehow lost track of the outs, and it was a really long inning. So the third strike on the third out was made, and they nobody left the field. The pitch, the catcher Riamuto threw it back to Zach Eflin, and everybody stood there yeah. instead of the normal running off the field. It's like the entire team, team collectively was, yeah. lost track of the outs, right. and. That just says, where the heck are your heads right now? And yeah. it, was, it was a really collective effort here. You know, people want to blame the pitching, people want to blame the hitting. I think they're all in. Everybody. Well, well they were they were still an All Star break. Well, listen, the All Star break is a, is a lousy excuse in my opinion, <laughs> and especially when you come out of All Star break with somewhat a disappointing first half and certainly a disappointing end to the first half, and you open with seven games against the Washington Nationals, who I just spoke about, the stinking neighbors to the south that you got to beat out, and not not just out of pride, Very but also in position, and then you get the best team in baseball, the last Very three times yeah. represented from the National League in the World Series, and the Dodgers come into town, and you get off one and three and right. have an effort like last night and. You know, Saturday night's game they just gave away, and the first game out of the Ulster break they lost for nothing, and it was a big weekend crowd and honoring Ryan Howard and fireworks and all sorts of stuff going on, and they just have laid an egg. They didn't I mean, show up. They have not showed up. They yeah. were fortunate to win the game Sunday with the walk-off home run, and you'd think that gives you a little bit of momentum, but right. that momentum was all thrown away last night. So, um, And the other part that really got me about the Phils this week was the president of the team, McPhail, who has been around baseball for a long time. Not with a lot of success in a long time, but he's been around baseball and he's been the president of the Phillies and uh, was somewhat responsible for the hiring of Clintock, which led to the hiring of Gabe Kapler and this whole advent of analytics in a big, big way with the Phillies organization. He made comments over the weekend, Ja, that um, because they don't be- he doesn't believe that they're one trade away from the World Series, from winning the World Series, so they're probably not going to go after anything big at the trade deadline. Okay. And that, but then, on the other hand, he's saying, but we are in the wild card spot, so um, he's not going to dignify the question as to whether Gabe Kapler's job is in jeopardy, which to me, you can't have it both ways. You also right. can't make the commitment to spending stupid money and trying to win now, and then a half season later saying, well, we're not really that close, so we're not going to go all in to try to win now. I think right. there's so many incongruous uh, positions and statements and things coming out of the Phillies front office that this is an angry mob of Philadelphia Phillies fans. And yeah. people always have you know, give the rap to Philadelphia fans that they're tough. But they're only tough when you don't 
you do don't give your the job. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and really, it really is an effort thing. And when they've raised the bar of expectations, but now no one's delivering. And even yeah. Harper, who, who no one's questioned Harper's effort ever, but Harper, you listen. There's a 13-year, $330 million commitment to this guy. He's not here to be okay or even good. He's here to be a star. And right. in his first year, he's just been okay, and that's not good enough. And so right. all across the board, with the exception of, you know, I can't even – Nola, Nola's pitching so well now, and I'm really partial about Aaron Nola, but he didn't even get off to a good start. And Hoskins has done okay, but it, it's been an up and down, and um, he gets credit with taking a lot of pitches, and sometimes I think it's a detriment. And JT Real Muto uh, was an all-star catcher, but, it, it, you know, his statistics are just okay as well. There's nothing that has happened that's exciting or that you look at and say, wow, this guy's really doing his doing his job or doing great. Kingery's had flashes, but he's been in a little tailspin. I think part of it is that he's out of position and that doesn't help him. But just in general, it's just not a feel-good bunch. And we're still almost half the season to go. We're sitting here in mid-July. And I would love to be sitting here with you saying, God, I can't wait. Let's go to the ballpark at 7 o'clock for the Phillies-Dodgers again. But, man, they took a lot of steam out of me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, baseball is a lot of games, man. And I think sometimes those guys do really pick and choose when they play. And maybe sometimes the new teams that are just everybody's getting to know each other, not like the Dodgers, teams that's been to the last three uh, championships and, and been on the roll. But maybe they just got to find their groove. Like you said, guys got hurt. Guys are down right now. The morale is probably low. You know, they, they lost a player due to the legal issue and stuff like that. And it's probably just a lot going on in, in the clubhouse that, that's on their mind. But with that said, you still got to get out there. You still got to give effort. And you still got to be a professional and realize the reason why you're here is to win games. Once you lose that, then it's, then it's like, what are you out there for? But you, as a professional, don't you have the personal pride anyhow? That you do. You should. Of course you do. Always. Of course. You, I mean, that's that's the reason why you're where you are. Is you because, can't reach here without it. <laughs> it's, it's because, you, you know, you, you care about it, your work ethic, the pride that you have of the time that you put in, whether it be on the field or off the field. That That's what got you there, being prideful. Is there any memorable speech or moment that a coach came in and reamed your team out or made a real difference that way? Because I just don't see Gabe Kapler being the guy to do that. It just doesn't seem within his personality. And he's always making an excuse for his players. And um, and that doesn't wash that great with this audience. Right. But but um, And he even said, he even made a comment, because I mentioned Dallas Green earlier. Dallas Green was the Phillies manager in 1980 when they won their first World Series. And he was a real fiery type. And one of the things that they credit as turning that season around and allowing the Phillies to go on to win that World Series was in mid-September when he flipped over a buffet table and screamed it screamed with at the team after a game with the clubhouse door closed, but everybody hearing it outside. Um, it was a famous rant, and re- but after that they went on a tear. Was there right, any right. anything where Sean Payton came in or any coaches through the years that came in and gave you anything fiery that you can remember as being, you know, a necessary and be a real big wake up call that kind of turned things around every day. <laughs> <laughs> every single God, day, John Payton would be a coach of <laughs> Philadelphia. Love <laughs> every single day. No, you know, sometimes you 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 gotta evaluate the pulse of the of the locker room of of the guys of the players of the coaches, and 
I think you always got to always tell people, like, I always think of ways to reinvent myself, my technique, how to get better as a player. And I think coaches look at that, too, as, as far as their coaching, how they deliver the message to the team, how they address their staff in the, in the, in the wee hours of the morning before the staff address the team and, and what the message is for that day or what the message is for that week or what the message is for that, for that game. Um, it happens, you know, all the time. And, uh, and there are guys that are motivated that way, uh, that depend on that, that, that it helps them bring out the best in them and and they're guys that are self-motivated too but there's listen I've had coaches that come in and and they've brought people in Ronnie Lott spoke to us Avery Johnson spoke to us you know so many people spoke to us that have given you know that of value they've given to us I mean Marines Navy SEALs so many people we used to bring in to kind of motivate us and to get us in the mindset of of going out there and 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 doing our job like the shirts we wore (laughs) You know, one season, you know, well, do your job. Well, Ja, you know, football certainly is a more emotional sport and has to be. In, in baseball, you're playing 162 games versus right. the 16 of football. <clears throat> yeah. And it, there's a lot more, you know, uh, blood and guts in football, and you got to keep a much more level head in baseball. You can't get too high, you can't get too low, and you, you got you to sort of keep maintain that focus and that calmness. But it's interesting that you talk about that. That's an everyday thing, and you had all these motivational speakers. I don't see any of that going on with the, with the Phillies. I don't see anything fiery going on. Yeah. Ryan Howard got honored on Sunday, you know, one of the, one of the real – key pieces, of course, of the Phillies World Series champions in 2008 and had a, a run here from about 2006 to 2011. That's kind of unparalleled in Phillies history. He really had <clears throat> one of the greatest tears and um, that, uh, that anybody ever had in wearing a Phillies uniform. And unfortunately, his career was at that point cut by the Achilles injury I yep. mentioned, and, and he never was the same after that. But even he, during his speech, where they're honoring Ryan Howard for the 13-year career he had here in the Phillies uniform, says, hey, these guys are out here. Don't boo them. You know, they're doing their best. Like, he's defending this right. bunch. And, and it's like, hey, let's quit feeling sorry for these guys. Uh, let's see it from them. We, you know, was, Yeah, but as a player or as a you know, retired player, you know how that feels. You know how it feels to go out there and and – give your all, play hard, and get booed. And, you know, he, he's just looking at it from a player perspective because I always hate players that go to the media side and all of a sudden now you forget what it would have been like, what, what it was like to be on the player side of it. Now, you know what I'm saying? It, 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 and it happens a lot. And it's <laughs> it like, sure come does. on, man. Unfortunately, like, those guys tend to succeed. They in the do. Business. They do. And it burns me up. But <laughs> they do succeed in that business. But it's fine. You know, it is what it is. Not all of them are like, not everybody's like that. But, but now you've crossed to the dark side. And yeah, don't, you know, just, don't pretend you're a player how, anymore now. Ex- you're media. Ex- Exactly. So, you know, I think him saying that was, you know, just his, his player in him. Like, come on, you know what I mean? But you're right. Sometimes it's deserving. You know, it's deserving to to be like, listen, you're not playing your best. You need to pick it up. Well, he also said that, you know, Philadelphia fans have this reputation for being tough, and but they're only tough or only hard on you when you don't do what you're supposed to do. If you do what you're supposed to do, they're not so hard. We watched – the Philadelphia 76ers basically intentionally lose for four years in this town. <laughs> they, I mean, they really did during, yeah. the, during the tanking, during the so-called process. They intentionally lost. Did they? <laughs> Look, the players on the court gave their all. Come on, man. They bought an Andrew Bynum. <laughs> the organization did everything they could to make sure they didn't have the players to win. And I say that with the fact that this Philadelphia town not only didn't turn on them, they supported them. It was absolutely ridiculous. It, listen, the, the, the 
the Wells Fargo Center was only half full a lot of nights. Right. But but by the same token, they weren't booing those guys right. <laughs> because those guys were out there doing their best. Yeah. It's all about your expectations, yeah. and then what you give is effort. And the expectations for this Phillies bunch was deservedly high. It was it was very high, and, and the effort is not matching the expectations yeah. for sure. And, that, and, and that's, that's where you run into trouble. It, it's an issue. And, but you know, we also have to be realistic. You know what I mean? As far as expectations, and sometimes as fans or as you know. You know, very like sports people, we, we we we're we're unrealistic. You know what I'm saying? Like we have we get emotionally involved because we're fans, and then on the same side, we try to not get too emotionally involved, and we put up high expectations on people that they just can't, you know, achieve. So, but, but there was reasonable expectation of the Phillies based on their own comments, based on the off season they had, the acquisitions. Well, you said based on comments. It, well, comments com- is in action though. But comments by the organization of their commitment to winning and okay. where they were and ready to be all in, spend okay. the stupid money, make these the acquisitions. So they raised the bar themselves, and okay. now almost are backing away from those comments. See, if 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 you want to make those comments and you want to be all in and make these acquisitions, and if it doesn't work out, Ja, and if that bar was unfairly raised by yourselves, then you've got to be accountable. And then we need a new front office. And I'm not and I'm not here to defend the Phillies front office for one second because yeah. I haven't loved it. We had a first-time general manager in Clintock who went a different direction than what I like to see, and and that is the, the total analytics, and I think there's a place for it. I just think it's overused. And a manager that was a first time manager, and I and and to me is always learning on the job. And I don't think you should be learning at the big leagues level. There's a whole lot of levels of baseball to coach at. There's nothing wrong with coaching AAA, managing right. AAA for a while. And those things have been frustrating. So to me, somebody's got to be accountable, and it's got to be front office people as we go forward with this organization. But we're going to see because when when McPhail was, you know, who's another guy who brought all these people in and has to be accountable to me to some extent. Um, when he was asked about Kapler, as I said, he says, I'm not even going to dignify that question with a response. And it's a fair question. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fair question. So they, some, uh, you know, they, they insult you. Well, front office is always accountable, but front office doesn't fire, you know, themselves. So, I mean, it's... They, well, that's the owner. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. So, and we know that they... Last longer than the players sometimes, sometimes. In, most, in most part. But the issue is, is that front office is bringing in the players. Are the players underachieving? You know what I mean? And they, ha- and they, they have and been or, or, underachieving. If they're underachieving, it's on the players to some extent. Yeah. It's got to be someone on the manager. And if they're not oh, yeah, underachieving, sure. then it's on the front office for misevaluating. But one way or the yes. other, there's got to be accountability somewhere. We'll there see is. what happens going yeah. forward. Look, there's still a lot of baseball to be played. I agree. Yeah, you know, there, there's still 60-some games to go. I agree. And an opportunity to still make a run here. And and, and I, I referenced 1980. The Phils were, were not in first place in mid-September won the World Series. In 2008, they had a late season rally and won the World Series. Anything can happen in baseball. You don't see the makings of it here because you'd like to see a little more fire. You'd like to see better pitching. You'd like to see health. But by the same token, things can turn around. And um, yeah, I think everybody tonight as it is in Bank Park at seven o'clock. Go catch the Phillies. Yeah, I think everybody <laughs> should definitely be held accountable. Um, but I think more importantly, the guys are just not playing well. They're they're underperforming. Listen, if if nothing else, the, the ballpark is still great. It's a little hot out there tonight, <laughs> but go down to Bulls Barbecue, Greg Luzinski's Barbecue. He's he's sitting there, one of the great players of the 1980 World Series champions and a, a real star through the 70s here. And go talk baseball with him, and there he will go. give you. He holds back nothing on his opinions nice. on the team. And and here's an old school guy who played the game unbelievably in the way it was supposed to be played. And um, 
he's he's really bothered by the analytics of today, as a lot of the old school guys, as the old timers are. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with I'm with you on that. I, I mean, there has to be something said about effort, talent, and the ability to go out there and just turn that switch on and dominate. And I don't think analytics bring that to well, the table. But, but there's also an element to looking at a ball player and knowing if he's a ball player and yes. not reducing everything to quotients and numbers and formulas. Yes, I agree. And, you know, and algorithms and all the stuff that they yeah. do. Let's look at a guy. And, and unfortunately, in that algorithm, you know what you miss out on? You know what you can't measure? You can't measure heart. Yeah. You can't measure that. Will and, 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 and a whole so, bunch of other things. And so effort, all the st- yeah. all the stuff, and um, and and unfortunately, um, that's really missed out on, and, and it, is. it might be and one it, of the reasons why this club is where they are. Yeah, and and it's, it, it, I don't know, man. It's just kind of, I guess, the new the new way things are going because there has been some success on some type of level by someone or a group of people that did it before and all of a sudden it's trying to be adopted and duplicated. But, um, you know, just like in poker, you have those old-time poker players and now you have all these guys that are so quick to be like, oh, the probability of this, the probability of that, the act- there's no more action in poker because you, you have a lot of these I guess nerdy guys or quick thinkers only playing when the probability is high and stuff like that. But it's, poker there's makes no sense field. that way. It does. Because it's mathematical and there's numbers. Yeah, there's a limited number yeah, of cards. There, not- there, there is, but I'm just saying how it changed. Like the game changed. And it's just one of those things that has changed how poker his, historically wasn't played that way. Now, you can say, yes, it's getting smarter. Gamblers are smarter. Yeah, that's how it goes. But they're. The analytics thing is, I mean, I think it can work in baseball when you're talking about pitching and batting and things like that, but it doesn't measure the person's will inside. Are the poker players still chewing tobacco and smoking? Yeah, probably. Or, or are they vaping now? Probably vaping and doing it all. <laughs> but uh, modern but day yeah, poker players. You know. <laughs> Anyway, thought that would be a good comparison, but maybe not. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it is. But you know, hey, listen, times change. I'm not, I'm not stuck in the past. I mean, we progress through things, and I think there is an element that's necessary. But they're still old school. Let's let's go on the field and let's play our hearts out and let's play the yeah. game, the boys' game that we all loved growing up and wanted Give to play. The effort. You should always run out a ball, like no matter what. You never know if they can bobble it or it's misthrown. Like that's 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 one on one. You know what I mean? That's just one on one. I would have really killed my. Kid. Kids if they ever that's just one on one, like run up, run it out. Yep, like that's the one thing you can you can control. That's, that's, that's exactly. Um, exactly. All right, so let's let's switch gears a little bit to another team with high high expectations. All right, right. Philadelphia 76ers and during this exciting <laughs> off season yeah. in in the NBA, um, it became finalized that Ben Simmons has indeed signed his max extension of five years, one hundred seventy million dollars, which takes him through the next six seasons in the Sixers uniform. And um, according to Tobias Harris, he's added the jump shot in the off season. We'll see for sure soon. He pulled out of the World Games for the Australia team, which is uh, to me is a mixed thing. I would hold on, hold love on, to see him. Said, hold on, you said he added a jump shot in the off season. Well, this is what Tobias. Harris has said in the workouts, we have we're yet to see it. It's under wraps. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 Tobias Harris leaked it. <laughs> oh, okay, he's been working you. out with him. We will we gotcha, will we will gotcha, really find. Gotcha. We're going to find out. Come you know when when they they start camp in October <laughs> and take and the season starts in late October, early November, and and we'll see we'll see what he brings. I I do think that Ben with all the. Uh, public criticism and comments about it recognizes the need to do so, and, and I think he'll attack the season a little bit differently. But the Sixers' jaw are really all in with this bunch now. You know, this is what our process yielded: Joel Embiid, 
Ben Simmons and Ben, along with Tobias Harris, who signed the five-year, 180 max deal, and Al Horford, who they brought in from Boston with his four-year, basically 97 guaranteed and possible 109 million dollar deal. Um, that's that's the core group of the Sixers team. Uh, then, then there's a few other players, of course, and a few other pieces, and there's necessary pieces. But that's this. That's that's our club, and there's a lot of people saying that's enough. That's the best starting lineup in the league, and picking the Sixers for the finals. There's a lot of other people that feel differently, and we're going to find out because right. because we haven't seen this group together, and, and there's a lot of unknown there. What are your thoughts, though, as we sit here? Do, do you like the restructured 76ers, and um, do you think the bar that they've set on their own now as the, the team to be the favorite in the East is legit? Because if they don't live up to that, we're going to have the same outcry that we sort of had during this Philly season. Okay, so so who set this bar again? Sixers themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a realistic bar. Um, I think they took the NBA champions to a game seven. Uh, I think the East is going to be better next year with with some acquisitions. But the West is going to be a lot. The West better. is going to be very the balance loaded. of power, which has been in the West for a while, got shifted higher because yeah. Kawhi Leonard left. I agree. And um, you know, and 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 you've had the filtering out of what what was Boston's nucleus. Yeah, I agree. And stuff is so so strong West. so they should be pretty good on the East, and I think they got. You know, a, a, a very good and talented team that they're putting together here, it, but it's all about execution. Um, I think that if they just eliminate the turnovers, <laughs> that makes them so much better, so much better just in that one aspect of the game. If they can eliminate that, it'll make them so much better. So I do think they'll be top teams in the East. I think Milwaukee's up there. But other than that, I really can't. See anybody else really? Indiana might be decent. Indiana, but, but, I guess. But they had a big, they had a big loss also. Of a yeah, what's the name? So, have to come back and so so. Look, right now on paper, it's the Sixers right there with yeah, everybody. You know, Milwaukee had the best record in the league, and um, and and they'll be a tough tough team. But you know, you saw some weaknesses in them as well. Yeah, and you got to like the Sixers' chances if they put it together. I, I've been saying to you that. I, I think that if Embiid and Simmons just improve and raise their bar, then that's all the Sixers actually need at this point. And, you know, Ben's had all this criticism. And, you know, I'm such a Ben supporter. I mean, the freaking guy is average. He averaged like 17, 8, and 8 last year. 17 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. Yeah. That's without a jump shot. I know. And that's shooting 56% from the field without being able to shoot. No. This guy could be so great. And I'm thinking he's going to get there. And the Sixers have bet big time on him. And um, we will see. I can't wait for basketball season. The only thing I hate to do is I don't want to wish away the summer and the start of fall. But I just can't wait to see this team take the court. I can't wait to see this team take the court. I think that they're going to be a lot better than last year just as far as their mentality and how they approach the game and and, and just, you know, their thought process throughout the game. Um, I think they learned a lot last year about themselves um, that they're going to implement this upcoming season. And uh, I think that they're hungry, man. I think they're a hungry bunch of young men who really want it. And I think that they're going to go after it in the offseason. And I think they're going to get better and come out there and and uh, show everybody that who's been talking, you know, smack about them, you know, what's really up. Uh, 
So it's going to be fun, but I'm also I'm excited about football season. Honestly, I can't even hold you. I'm sitting here looking at these Madden ratings, and you know what I mean. Well, I'm yeah, like, I, man, you know I'm, I want to bring that. I'm, hot, I'm, I'm excited about this football season. There were a couple up. of lists I wanted to go through today, and, and one of the things I did want to talk to you about because you can personally relate. To, you're, you're getting ahead of me, but it's but it's worth talking about the Madden ratings, <laughs> the, the the number I'm one. Excited sports for fantasy football, man. It's like, video game ever, yeah, Madden. Yeah, and and you know John Madden, who was a coach of the Oakland Raiders. Uh, uh, a Hall of Fame coach and Super Bowl champion, then a longtime announcer. His legacy is going to be this game, and his yeah. name attached to that game. And, it's, and yeah, you know, his legacy is going to have a going to be a lot, but this game is definitely going to go on forever. But kids are going to know the name Madden Love and it. not have any Eddie, clue who right. the heck he was. Yeah, <laughs> um, they'll be able to research it. But you're right. Oh they're, yeah, yeah, they're going to research it. Sure, <laughs> they will. I mean, you'd be surprised. But they'll read a book. No, I, I haven't seen it. Look him up on Wikipedia. But they're going to the ten year olds. They're playing Madden. Do you think they have any idea who John Madden is? Not at all. No, no, not <laughs> no that way. young. No, not that young. Not so, at all. So let's go through the ratings. Let me. You want to go through these rates? All right, we'll, let me, go, we'll go, okay. go ahead. You, you, do, right. who, who strikes you as you look at that? What strikes you? Uh, no, I'm just looking at the top teams. You know, overall ratings in Madden NFL 20 ratings in the top teams is one one through three is the Eagles, Dallas, and New Orleans. I how mean, about that? How about that? Your hometown I mean, team, your about, former team. How about this? One through Eagles. five. Eagles, Dallas, New Orleans, New England, Green Bay. You, wow, you had the Packers. Look, look at that, man. I mean, that's, <laughs> It's unbelievable how good they're rated with yeah. you out there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, it's Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. It wasn't Jari Evans. Come on. But, well, you, uh, know, you know, just, just an aside before we go to their Madden ratings, yeah. um, your old teammate, David Bakhtieri. Yeah. I saw on the list by Pete Prisco, his 100 top players. He's a respected journalist, works for CBS. And he he rated his top 100 players. He had Bakhtieri rated that best offensive lineman in the league. Now, I shockingly saw him at number 38 because I can't believe that there's 37 non linemen before the first lineman comes in. But I was really surprised to see him rated that highly. You played with that guy. Is he that good? Yeah, D Bach is good, man. Um, he's, he's unique. Uh, but he's uh he's good. Not a name people hear all the time. I mean yeah. he's made his Pro Bowls and stuff, but you know, and he plays in Green Bay and a little bit of anonymity the way they haven't had success the last couple of years. But I was surprised to see him the number one. But let's go through these. No, you shouldn't be surprised. He, he, Aaron Rodgers is one of the top QBs in the league, and that's because he's protected by some legitimate guys, and you have to give those guys a shine. I mean, there's no top QB in this league that gets to a top QB in this league without not being put on his back, and especially when guys are coming after him and Khalil Mack is in that division now. Chicago has a deep D-line with Akeem Hicks, who's all, who's all pro Pro Bowl player. So those guys go up against some legitimate you know, guys over there. And Minnesota D-line, we know how – you know, stacked that they have been over the years, and so they. Uh, Debock is a real good player. He has some some unique technique that that you see him only use, and um, it's good that he's getting his shine. It's just one of those things, Jeff. You mention his name to most people. If you ask who is the best lineman in the league, he's not going to be a name that comes up, and that's why. Well, that's one I of the disagree. Things the anonymity of, of the offensive line at times. I disagree. He okay. is one of the names that comes up. Okay. Um, and, and it's funny because he was in that movie with uh, Taylor, with our, our, our producer. Would you have thought of him as best best offensive lineman in the league? Uh, that would not be my first name. <laughs> I left tackle, but you know Taylor sees Aaron Rodgers as one of the best QBs in the league, sure. and that's because he's being protected and not on his back. So, and they always you know have a good running game and in uh, that nature also. But um, I hear what you're saying. You know Taylor just may not watch a lot of Green Bay football. No, I'm just saying, and it's one of the things also that I've always talked to you about is you know you were you were a superstar and. 
know, I believe a future Hall of Famer. And you, you, but you play that anonymous position at times. And right, that, exactly. And, and, that, and that's all. And, it's just and, and, and our position really, our notoriety comes if we're winning or if we're losing. If you if you if you're ten nothing, they're going to be like, oh, their O line must be good. You know what I'm saying? That if you're if you're zero and six or you're freaking six and five or you know midline to to not doing good, you can have some legitimate players on your team or your offensive line, but you won't get the recognition because your team isn't winning real. Those that's one of those positions like your team has to be winning for you to get the recognition. Now at that position of left tackle, which Debock plays. If your quarterback is not getting hit and he's delivering the ball and he's throwing for a whole lot of yards, you're going to get those praises because the left tackle, you know, plays against the best defender on the other side of the ball. So, and Teron Armstead is another good left tackle. Well, Teron's on the list, but he's way yeah. down. But that's a name that more people will have been familiar with. Or the guard position, Zach Martin, you know, Quentin Nelson, the kid from Indianapolis, got a lot right. of fanfare last year. Marshall Yonda. Yeah, just, Quentin Nelson is getting a lot of love lot. right now. I know you thought it was too much, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is what it is. They're, they're winning, but yeah, he's getting a little, little, bit, little bit more than I... So did you see, see any... In, film. Do you see any individual ratings for the Madden? So the individual ratings, yes. So... I guess well, you know what? We could do How the, many perfect ninety nines are there? So the top rated Eagles, you have one, two, three, six guys, ninety seven guys, eighty nine and up. Seven Good. guys, eighty nine and up, and well, I, I'm sure Fletcher Cox is a top one. Two though. of them are offensive linemen. Well, and and you're talking at this point, Lane Johnson, and is it Kelsey? Oh, well, it's got to be Brandon. Brandon yeah, Brooks. Lane and Brandon. Then you have Malcolm. Ertz, Kelsey, and Cox at the top. But as, as quarterback ratings throughout the league, you have Mahomes number one, Brady, Rivers, Drew, which I'll put Drew over Phillip, and Andrew Luck at number five. And uh, you have Carson down at So you're at telling me, 14. and where's Aaron, though? Aaron's falling out of there? Aaron's not in there, which oh, I'm very he's, surprised. He's not going to be happy with his rating. He's, he's, he's definitely not going to be happy so, John, with his rating. So, you as a player— could you wait to see your rating? You, ha- you had to be so excited to see that rating every year. You know, I played Madden a lot in high school and college, and then I got to the pros and I played it a little bit, and I just didn't play it that much. And maybe it was because I had— Maybe you were playing real football? <laughs> <laughs> Six- or seven-year-olds and talking smack to me online when I was playing. But, uh, yeah, we all look at our rating and um, we'll check it out and, and see what it is. And— uh, but you know, there's 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 somebody that's not going to have a high rating that's going to be in a Pro Bowl and an All Pro player. It's tell just me some how of your st- tell us some of your stories. What was your highest rating? Shoot, I think my highest rating was maybe ninety eight, which was the best guard. Ninety seven, something like that up there. Um, and then and then it's the, crazy you say that the guy I was just at a meeting today and one and one of the guys was like man I remember playing with you on Madden you you telling me my ratings and stuff I was like oh man <laughs> it's wild how they look at you yeah it's it's, it's 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 interesting well they didn't get to use you in fantasy because they don't have offensive lines in there so yeah so your thing was Madden and- yeah I'm talking to some some app developers to kind of get that going but here goes the 99 club you have Donald you have Hopkins. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, you have Khalil Mack, and you have uh, Bobby Wagner. Wow, Bobby Wagner, Seattle's '99 Club. Wow. Yeah, and he just signed a big contract. Yeah, so he did. You know, guys, guys are just gonna get the recognition. All right, let's talk some other NFL issues as we are about a week or so away from training camp, and um, of course, everybody gets all excited now about football season starting. Yeah. Um, you can relate to. You would be winding down your your summer at this point, and and kind of getting yourself back into that mode, but there's. 
really the, the issues that, that um, are, are involved now become the legal and the contractual issues. And we've got some interesting things maybe going on in Dallas. The, I, apparently, Ezekiel Elliott, who is playing this year at $3.85 million, might be unhappy with his contract and may or may not report and get into a holdout. And that, that's a significant thing, a, a running back like him, uh, and a very important part of the Dallas Cowboys. He's got a 6.2 average contract. Now, it's an, his rookie deal still. So, right, right. so, But the problem, of course, is, as we know, there's franchise tags allowed, and, and the running back position has been an, an interesting one that hasn't necessarily been recognized as one of the value positions anymore. Anymore. And we saw Le'Veon Bell set out a whole year and ultimately sign a four-year, $52.5 million deal with the Jets. But he got um, he got less than he was offered a year ago by Pittsburgh after sitting out a year. And the biggest deal is Gurley's deal out there. So there's no way Zeke's going to take less than those guys at some point. But by the same token, Pittsburgh replaced Le'Veon Bell. Nowhere's near as good. But but a very serviceable back in James Conner, who last year earned $578,000. And, and, you know, the disparity of the amount of money is a big one. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Zeke Elliott. And another issue, John, one of the things that as we go into the final two seasons of the collective bargaining agreement that I hope the NFLPA really makes it at the forefront is I hate the franchise tag. Franchise tag screws up free agency. Can you imagine if we had the franchise tag in the NBA? Do you know that this maneuvering we're seeing where Anthony Davis can pick the team while still in a contract and Kawhi Leonard can orchestrate these things? Oh, it right. couldn't happen if you had franchise tags in the NBA. And personally, I don't want to see franchise tags. I think the players have the right to be able to, to, to move around and, and have free agency. And, and when they play out their contract, it bothers the heck out of me that the best players in the NFL can be tagged and restricted from manu- from mo- maneuvering and make the money in the short term that they're allowed to make the money. Bothers the heck out of me. I hope the NFL Players Association takes it as an important thing. But um, right now, you've got an interesting thing going on where Jadavian Clowney, and I probably screwed up his first name because I've always Jadavian, yeah, Jadavian. Okay. I got close enough anyway. Jadavian Clowney of the you know one of the, one of the great players. He was tagged, and he wasn't able to come to the long term because you have a certain deadline as to when you have to come to a long-term deal with a franchise player. Okay. Um, and he didn't come to terms. The deadline just passed. And so he's going to play on the franchise tag. But the question is, what is that franchise tag? Because his club is wanting him to play under the linebacker tag. Right. Which is, which is, because he's outside linebacker. Well— they claim he's well, an outside what, linebacker. What defense are they running? <laughs> but, well, I mean, the Texans, the Texans run that three-four, where he's yeah. an edge guy. Right. So, so this is—it's really a, an out-of-date denomination because really, right now in the front seven, you've got your interior lineman. Yeah. You've got your. Um, I, I, the, the term would be more like the the, the off-the-ball linebackers, and then you've got your edge guys. And Clowney's clearly an edge guy, which would relate more to defensive end, which would be a $1.7 million higher tag. And that's a debate going on right now yeah, between the Players pay, Association who filed a grievance and the clubs. They're going to pay him as a linebacker because it's the cheaper it's the cheaper. Well, that's amount. what the club wants to yeah, do. Yeah, that's what they're and, going to and they do. Fi- so the NFLPA filed a grievance, and we'll <laughs> yeah, see who wins it. That, and, that's but fine, you know but these... that's what they're going to do. Typically, what, uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but no. what happens is the player's like, well, listen, I play with my hand in the dirt this many plays this percentage and I play on in a two point stand this percentage. That's the you know, sometimes that's how they can dictate if you're a linebacker or if you're a down lineman. But there's no clear cut way to dictate it because he's probably been in one or two defenses that 
or defensive coordinators that had him standing up playing in a 3-4 as a linebacker or in a 4-3, and they switch it up and mix it up so much, it'd be, it's going to be very interesting in the next collective bargain agreement how they do that. But the club is always going to try to pay the of player course, the cheaper value. That's just how it is. Well, imagine, you know, again, comparing it to the NBA, we don't have designations that centers get a certain amount of money, right. forwards, guards. Right. They're, they're players. Jadavion Clowney has so much value to the Houston yes. Texans, and they're trying to chintz on the fact that they've already restricted him from signing his free agent deal anyhow. It bothers the heck out of yeah. me, and it's just not fair well, you, and an evolution. You, you know the name of the game. Get the best players for the cheapest price. No, doubt, how it no is. doubt about it. And, um, you know, we'll see as, as they started the conversations this week on – what's going to happen in this new collective bargaining agreement. We'll see what happens with that stuff. Um, it, because one of the other issues that's that's popped up, and it's a really big issue, Ja, is whether or not the league goes to an 18-game season. And we all know that exhibition's a joke. The four-game exhibition season is a travesty. And one of the things that bothers me the most about it, of course, is that they forced you to buy the two home games for your team as part of your package. And nobody wants to go see that stuff. And you as a player, you want to get done and you, you want to get your work done and now there as quickly as possible. And then if you're a starter, you're not even playing game four. And basically, you're playing no more than a couple series in most of the other games as well. Right. Um, and it's, it's a joke. So, so hopefully two games go by the wayside. But the question is, what happens if you add two games? The NFLPA has taken the stance all along that they're not going to ever allow two more games because of the, the risk to the body and the injury. What's your, what's your take on it? Having played the NFL games for 12, 16-game seasons, what do you think about adding two more? Um, I think moving to a <clears> – <throat> A four preseason game, sixteen game, you know, eighteen game format. It's not good. I don't think it does great with this the time slot with uh, other sports. Um, you run the season a little bit longer, and, and you know, leading into the playoffs. But I think if you eliminate two preseason games and and then have you know eighteen game season, I think that that works. You eliminate two preseason games, meaningless games, and then you add two meaningful games on the back end. Listen, the fans will love it, except for yeah. the fact that I worry about them being taxed too much in fantasy football. That's a real <laughs> screen. Exactly. They two more games. <laughs> fantasy <laughs> football is listen. I'm a fantasy football player now. It is, and the way you navigate that thing. My first year last year was was tough. I didn't understand some of it, <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it it'll boost revenue for both the. Owners Ownership and the players to get another get another check out of out of the season. Well, well um, it, it stands to add about ten yeah. percent to, yeah, to the package, and and you know the cap will go up as a result. Yep. The revenues will go up, and the TV deals will go up. Yep. Um, the important thing from the NFL standpoint, of course, is to continue to have labor peace, meaning that they don't miss any time because the real leverage for the players, to me, is the owners risk of losing some paychecks from the networks, and the network's getting mad if there's a, a work stoppage at all. So yeah. <clears throat> they've got a year and a half calendar-wise to work this thing out. Which wasn't a risk the last, the last CBA because it was already paid for whether the players played or not. Well, yes and no. There would come a, there, there would come a time where they start to lose, but the players historically, Ja, have not been willing to give up paychecks. And I don't blame them. I mean, you know no, that the average, the average player's career is slightly over three years, so no. each paycheck is very significant, and you'll be fighting for something that you're probably not going to reap the, ben- reap the benefits of, so you got to capitalize when you can play and when the iron. Oh, you're hot. talking about on the lockout situation? Yes. Oh, um, yeah, but those stands have to be, you know, ha- ha- have to be talked about to go to that extreme. It's just hard for 
a lot of guys to to take that extreme and, and miss that revenue because their family and and you know depend on it. So and well, it, and, it's, and it's tough. It's a tough thing to navigate. And 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 the league and the ownership knows that. And you know and they and they prey on that also. But at the same token, it's we have to uh, do what's best for the league and the players and that's why we have these negotiations leading up to it and, and things of that nature but I mean I, I do think that the owners are going to come off come come off a little bit more this next uh, CBA and I think it's probably going to be the best CBA that they have negotiated. Well look I don't believe they come off of economic issues a lot a little bit they conceded other issues so we will see uh, in, in, his, in history the NFL owners tend to not give back once they get something they just want more. They yeah, not give I mean, back. So I, we will do, see what happens. But in the healthcare way, they can they can do a lot of things. And that's that's and, where they'll give you where it's not necessarily <clears throat> directly economical. I yeah, mean, and, it, and, it, that, and that and that and it is economical because it affects post career things. So it does for the players, but as far as the cost to the owners, it's minuscule compared oh, for to the sure. revenue that Definitely, they but that's still a big win. I mean, I mean, one of the big things is that I, I'd also hope that the NFLPA pushes for is to raise the salary floor because play, the teams don't have to spend to the salary cap. They only have to spend to the salary floor, which is right now 89% of the cap, and it's spread out over four years. So they get years they can be way, way under. And there's a big difference between the actual cap numbers and the actual cash spent on a year. Yeah. I want to see all the tightened up so at least clubs are spending more than they are right now and the players are deriving They're forced more to spend it. it, kind of like the NBA is forced to spend X amount of dollars. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying. There's um, too much smoke and mirrors involved in the NFL spending. Yeah, well, and, 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 that's, that's, and that's, the, that's the part where I have said – you know when a team's not all in. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not all in to win because they know they don't. They might not have a shot to, and they're not going to spend that extra money if they know that they're not going to win. Well, it's one of the problems in the NFL, John. They just split up almost nine billion dollars amongst the clubs of the uh, national revenue, and the reason you get to know that is because the Green Bay Packers, one of your former clubs, is publicly owned, so they have to share the information, share information with yeah. with their shareholders, yeah. which is a lot of garbage to some extent. <laughs> but but the figures get out there, and in those numbers, which is uh, you know something close to three mil- three hundred million a team. That doesn't include local revenue, but it's part of what goes on in the NFL. There's all this sharing of the national revenue, which is the television money, the national packages. Your local packages are for like the exhibition games. So that's why the NFL teams sometimes like these exhibition games because there's some good local deals for them. But it, and it doesn't include seat revenue and suites and all that stuff that the clubs get to keep. So the national revenue alone is huge, but there almost becomes, at some extent, an economic disincentive to succeeding in the NFL because rather than spend that money, you get to keep all the money in your pocket, get all this national revenue, and teams like the Cincinnati Bengals, for example, that I always point out, don't make the effort to spend the max money. Because their bottom line is, it's not that they don't want to win, they want to win, but they don't go all in because their bottom line is they want to put money in the Browns family's pocket. As much as possible. And I think that they don't think that they can win. Because it's not about winning championships. No, see, they think they can win. I've talked to them. They're just wrong. (laughs) And and they've proven to be wrong over history. So it's not about winning championships to them. It's it's not. It's about putting that money in that brown. And some ball account. clubs is all about winning championships. It's all about staying ahead of the Lombardi count. Listen, Eddie DiBartolo was the owner of the San Francisco 49ers during their run in the 80s and a little bit into the 90s, and they won five Super Bowls. They were always at the bottom of the league 
in net profit because of the fact that he was all in. He was he was all about paying his players, all about running the first class operation. And the bottom line to him to his club economically wasn't as good as others, but he was getting the Lombardi trophy. So it really yeah. is about what your commitment is. Exactly. I completely agree with you. All right, as we bounce around like I like to do to make sure that we touch on all the areas of sports, just a few notes. Joe, we talk about boxing. There's a big fight this weekend, isn't there? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, we have, see. Big, we have we have a big one. But before before you get to that, yeah. um, <clears throat> and if you get to that, <laughs> I'm a boxing expert over here. I know. There, I, 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 there I, was a big loss in the boxing world yesterday to a to a really great fighter in, in Sweet Pea, Pernell Whitaker. Pernell Whitaker was uh, hit by a car and killed in Virginia Beach, where he's from, and passed away at the age of 55. And through the he was an Olympian. And through the 90s, he was one of the most exciting fighters, and he was definitely, for a while, pound for pound, the best fighter in the world. Probably won, like, titles at four different levels, and it was just just sad to see him his, his life end that way. Did you ever get to watch him? Um, I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not sure. I don't think so. But, um, yeah, that's uh, it's very sad. And, 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 uh, and um Looking at his record here, and he had a pretty good record, and he, he was a, he was a good fighter, and uh, <clears throat> just uh, condolences to his family. Yeah, really, really sad. I mean, it wasn't like he was out partying. They haven't really right. released the details of, of how the accident occurred, but just you know, a waste, a waste, and a horrible way to go. Um, there was also a lot of talk recently in the on the heels of the United States women's. World Cup championship in soccer as to the gender equality and pay issues and things like that. And it was interesting to see ja, Procter & Gamble and a few other sponsors have stepped up and given bonuses to the players. Um, we're not going to see equal pay on the world stage. We talked about the disparity between the way things are looked at in this country where we had Title IX and we have gender equality and things like that. And the world that looks at it differently and fight for the governing body of soccer that gives about over 10 to 1 in the amount of money to the men's winners in the World Cup versus what the women are. It was like $400 million to about 30-plus, almost $40 million to the women. And therefore, the women make a fraction of what the men do from the World Cup, but they don't have the same rules we have and laws we have. And worldwide, the revenue for the men's World Cup far exceeds the women's. Um, and so the equal pay that really is more related to uh, the salaries that the players get from the United States Soccer Federation, and they're actually somewhat equal. Both both sides individually, uh, collectively bargain there is, and, and the men chose to get more of an incentive one, but they basically are in the range of 5000 a year. And, yeah, you're showing me something, but you think these old guys can see that? <laughs> but but anyway, it was um, it's, it's interesting to see that we're now seeing some of the sponsors step up. And one of the things that has always happened in the men's sports is there's great sponsorship money and great deals and a lot of money made off the fields. And in basketball in particular, we've got these sneaker deals that are hundreds of millions of dollars right, now. Right. To some extent, some of the players are actually making more on their sneaker deals than they actually make on their contracts, on their contracts yeah. which means that they can give up play, uh, some of the dollars and go play where they want to play because they don't have to worry so much about maximizing their contracts. Yeah, get them ball sneaks. Three but we're, see, we're seeing now, at least, that these women are being recognized as m very marketable. And the appeal of this women's soccer team is huge. Huge. I posted, I took a picture with Carly Lloyd last year at a Sixers playoff game. And she was <clears throat> wearing her, the Philadelphia, that awful Philadelphia Liberty Bell with a snake going through it that they've trotted out for the last oh playoff season. Oh, my goodness. I hope they change <clears> But I took a picture with her, and she's a local girl from, from uh, South Jersey, went to Rutgers, and, and is a big Philadelphia sports fan. And she and the... In the celebration in New York, as a, as a women's soccer team is out there, 
gives her Fly Eagles Fly shout out. God bless her. <laughs> she she wore Philadelphia colors right there in New York, um, for, and for the world to see. So I, I posted this picture just on my Instagram and my Facebook. I can't believe the amount of response I got. I mean, this this woman is loved, and as are a lot of the, the people <clears throat> on that team. And yeah. Julie Ertz, the, the uh, Eagles tight ends wife. They're like superstars, he's, man. He's, I mean... he's, she's back playing for her North or National Women's Soccer team, a league team, and we're going to see because now ESPN's picked up the rest of that season, and we'll see. But the marketing part is going to be a big key to them making more money. Yeah, I think soccer has grown over here uh, over the last couple of years. But, um, but yeah, I mean, listen, those ladies are magical, man. They did something that is, it is that's awesome, and they're great athletes, and they're, they're playing exceptional soccer right now. And, uh, you know, and I think it's cool that they're going to go back to their, their local clubs and play, and I think they'll continue to get the notoriety that they deserve. We had Wimbledon finish up this weekend, and what a what an unbelievable finals match between Djokovic and and Roger Federer. Yeah, I just, saw I saw I saw majority of it. I didn't I didn't watch the end of it. It was historic, the longest yeah. match ever. Those guys played for almost five hours. We talk about effort. Roger Federer is uh, just short of his 38th birthday, and Djokovic is um, in his 30s, and they battled for. They were five going hours. at to, it to do something that intense at that level at that pressure for five hours is absolutely incredible. <laughs> and they didn't like break. It was a couple like point like point matches where they were just still as calm and they could just lose it all at one point and a couple ties they, they were just just calm like they let, were let just them calm come to the locker room time. and yell at Franco for not running out a <laughs> freaking ground ball but it was it, those two those three or the, those two along with Rafael Nadal have dominated men's tennis since 2003 when Federer first won his Wimbledon yep. those guys combined have won um i think it's 53 of 64 were uh, the Grand Slam events. It's unbelievable how yeah. they've only not won eleven, and it's, and those three are the top three each one because Federer's got twenty, okay. and then it's Nadal I think with eighteen, and now Djokovic with sixteen. Okay, yeah. And and um, can you imagine without them facing each other how much each would win? I mean, it's it's really yeah. incredible the dominance and and the length of dominance and and how they rise to the occasion all the time and win on all sorts of surfaces. You know, men's tennis is an interesting thing because they're so good that some people don't like it as much. But there we have equality, and the equality was gained in the '70s by people like Billie Jean King and then Martina Navratilova. And the irony is. If there's an argument against equality, and I'm just saying this on its face, the women only play best of three sets, and the men play best of five. So right, whereby right. Federer <laughs> and Djokovic battled for almost five hours, Serena Williams succumbed in the final in less than 30 minutes. Right. <laughs> it was that quick. But um, but the pay's equal in, in the men and women's in those events and has been for quite some time. And I think that's the way it should be, but it's just ironic in the back. In, in soccer, they play the same amount of game on the same field yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. In, in tennis, I wondered right? that. Inspiring. I wondered that. I'm like, how do they only play three? But... Yeah, that's that's it's interesting. Do you, they, you think they should go to best of five with the women's, or I mean, the game works. Yeah, you know, I don't understand no why they don't do it. I have to research that. I don't. I don't understand why they don't, I don't do anything it. Anything I might say about that's going to sound sexist, and God knows we are not sexist here. At <laughs> All right, couple couple quick things. Uh, let's hit before Taylor yanks the plug on us because I'm, we're probably getting close up up against it. One thing I want to talk about because I saw a list and and I love sports movies and I brought it up to you that we haven't had a lot of great ones lately the way we used to. Um, so I saw a list that had the best 25. Space Jam 2 coming out. Well then that's going to be so popular and, and, <laughs> and the players were, were all falling over each other to try to get into that. Um, 
But they had the 25 yeah. best baseball movies. Okay. And I got to say. You know mine. I've seen 24. You know what? what <laughs> really? But um, well, let's. what would be yours? Major Leagues are all, all mine. Major League was number four on the list. And that was one of those things where life imitated art because Charlie Sheen's character of Wild Thing was yeah. actually became the nickname for Mitch Williams of the 1993 Phillies and yeah. he wore the number that Sheen wore in the 99 and, and, and really emulated the wild thing we've got Hammer now out of the Phillies bullpen wearing glasses that look like that so, so I mean, the, the Sandlock was another good one I think. Sandlot is number three so you got three and four which are, are your kind of error they wouldn't be neither one would be high on my list okay. but, but the number was one number one and two would be and I'd probably have them in that order um Number two was Field of Dreams. I was going to say that one. Yeah, I've seen that one a few times. You know, it's well. one of those things that touches everybody yeah. and, and, and <clears throat> sort of brings baseball to everybody and ends yeah. with the catch between the father and the son, which we can all relate to. Yeah. Um, and then and number one, which I think is an unbelievable movie, again, that translates or, or transcends baseball, is Bull Durham, the Kevin Costner movie. You ever see it? Oh, I heard please about it. watch I it. Oh, oh, I gotta watch it. What a great movie. It's about minor league baseball, minor league baseball team in, in Durham, North Carolina. And then other things that are in the number five was Bad News Bears. Bad News Bears, which yeah. Is, which is a kid classic. What's that, from the what's 70s. that new movie that just came out about the analytics? And I think it's about the Oakland Well, Moneyball. Moneyball's, Moneyball's, yeah. Moneyball's on the list. Moneyball. The Billy Bean story. That's number eight. Number number six was The Natural, which I love. Okay. A, a Malamud novel that was turned into a movie starring Robert Redford, and, and he really played the role great. Yeah. Um, and for gender equality, number seven was A League of Their own, which, own. I like that movie. That was, movie with Madonna in I it. I forgot about that movie. Um, I like that movie a lot. Which gave us the great line, there's no crying in baseball. Yes. He says to one of the girls, are you crying? Yeah. There's no crying in baseball, which is a line that's quoted and used all the time. 42 was number nine. The yeah, Jackie yeah, story. that movie was good. Yeah. A movie that I took my wife, and I don't recommend this as a date night way back when it came out, The Life and Times of Hank Greenberg, which okay. was a, almost a documentary type movie about uh, his impact in the Jewish community when playing in the 30s and 40s during World War II stuff and okay. the Holocaust, and his battle against a really super player and battling against um, Babe Ruth and things like that. But it wasn't um, something that you get lucky if you take your girl to. It was not. <laughs> <laughs> Pride of the Yankees, number 11, the Lou Gehrig story, which of course gives you. Never saw one. that. Yo, you, it's a it's a classic starring Gary Cooper as, as Lou Gehrig, and today today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. You haven't seen this? No, no. Oh, his great it. speech when when the rookies on there, eight men out. I don't know if you've, you've probably seen most of these, but I've I've seen them all. Except, all. What was the one you didn't see? The, the one I didn't see, and I am going to go see it now because all right, just going through it. Twenty five was Little Big League. 24 was Fever Pitch, which was the Jimmy Fallon movie <laughs> as a fan of the Red Sox. Mr. Baseball, Tom Selleck is in Japan, 23. Angels in the Outfield, 22. Yep. Up for Grabs is a documentary of the Barry Bonds ball when he hit his, his, okay. his record-breaking <clears throat> home run. Ball Player uh, was a documentary out of Dominican Republic. Sugar was also a Dominican Republic. But that was a, a fictional, really good accounting. Cobb, story of Ty Cobb. And Off the Black, which was a story of the umpire starring uh, Nick Nolte, Bang the Drum Slowly, a 70s movie starring De Niro that was real good. Fear Strikes Out was one I didn't see. It's a 57 movie about Jimmy Pearsall, who had, who suffered from bipolar syndrome. Okay. What is it called? Fear what? Fear Strikes Out. And supposedly Fear Strikes Out. Starring, okay. uh, <clears throat> I don't know, Jimmy. it was the Jimmy Pearsall story. Story and by, sorry, talking about bipolar and I guess okay. a classic switch hitter. So 
that's the one I didn't say. Then Rookie of the Year and Eight Men Out. I was going to say Rookie of the Year. Sox. Is that in there? <laughs> rookie of the Year is yeah. in there. Eight Men Out, which was the Black Sox scandal story, and the yeah. rookie. And a great segue into Mr. Three Thousand. Isn't in there. Mr. Three Thousand is not in there, <laughs> and that's Bernie Casey, right? Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac. Bernie <laughs> so, Mac yeah. so anyway, <laughs> as as we come to the end of our show, Jock, give me a Colton's Court where we pick a year, and I will give you the champions from that year, and best baseball movie from that year, maybe. All right, nineteen. <laughs> Uh, 1952. Wow, we're going back in time. You're trying to you're trying to to dig deep into the archives. Um, all right. So in 52, which is way before Super Bowl era, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, we were in the midst of a New York Yankees run in baseball that that continued till 1954. So the Yankees won the baseball championship, and Taylor's always going to be behind um, the glass, checking on me, <laughs> going to like Google. In basketball in the NBA in 1952, we were in the midst of the Minneapolis Lakers six or five out of six run. 51, the Rochester Royals won it. Otherwise, Minneapolis won every championship from 49 to 54. In football in the NFL, this is this one's going to be a little bit more tough for me. I think 52. This is dangerous. This is really dangerous <laughs> for me. Here we go. Taylor, Here we go. I say. The Detroit Lions. Correct. Oh, oh yeah, that was pressure. Wow. <laughs> I was really scared about that one. In the NHL, it would have been the Detroit Red Wings. Taylor's, Taylor's waiting as, as he checks it. Um, but, man, I was, sweat, I was sweating that one out a little really? bit. Really? Well, Who had you sweating it out? And, and in basketball, it would have been the, I'm pretty sure it was the Kansas Jayhawks in the NCAA. Both correct. Okay. Good. Came through with a little bit of pressure on wow. me. And in the World Series of Poker, no, that wasn't That was, <laughs> made some references to past stuff. <laughs> World Series of Poker, it was. <laughs> I don't think they quite had it yet. But anyway, we have touched on everything from the Madden ratings to the best baseball movies of all time and uh, the Phillies falling right now and hopefully rebounding and the Sixers signings and the football training camps kicking off shortly. So thanks so much for listening. On behalf of my partner, the great Jari Evans. Peace. And for Taylor, our great producer, I'm Gerald Colton saying thanks again for listening. Colton Court's adjourned.